Well, saints, uh, in this message, this message, of course, is message two of our conference together on the will of God. And I want us to realize that message one and message two are actually one complete message. They complement each other. Message two uh, expounds some things more that are in message one. So we need to consider message one and message two as two parts of one message. Now, you see the title of message two is Knowing and Participating in God's Great and Lofty Will to Head Up All Things in Christ. Now, I want to emphasize these words knowing and participating. This is very experiential. We don't want this to be merely doctrinal to us. We want to know and participate uh, in God's great and lofty will to head up all things in Christ. Now, I would like to read um, two scriptures to start out with. When we come to Romans 1, we'll read uh, another crucial scripture. But um, one scripture I would like to read is Ephesians 4, 15, and 16. This is very important. It says, but holding to truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, who is the head Christ, out from whom all the body, being joined together and being knit together, and being knit together through every joint of the rich supply and through the operation in the measure of each one part, causes the growth of the body unto the building up of itself in love. Now, it's very interesting, brothers and sisters, if um, I would just like to point this out to you. In the book, The Resumption of Watchman Nee's Ministry, of course, that is in the collected works of Watchman Nee, but when we first put it out, we put it out in two volumes. And the first volume, most of it is Brother Lee's or Brother Lee's messages. Brother Lee's messages gave the way and paved the way uh, to introduce and bring Brother Nee back into his ministry. So um, these uh, two volumes are very good. Now listen to what Brother Nee says related to Ephesians 4. He says this, it's kind of um, the overall heading, is the body testimony being God's final recovery. Now we know that uh, at the end of Brother Lee's ministry, and, and we're very much burdened for this, that we would enter into the reality of the body of Christ which is what Brother Nee is actually referring to here. I'll read just parts of this. He said, We believe that God is recovering the most difficult thing today. What worries us the most today is the fulfillment of Ephesians 4, which includes those two verses that I read to you. Brother, Brother Lee spent a lot of time on those two verses because he wanted to bring us all into function. He wanted us to grow up every day into the head and then function out from the head for the building up of the body. 
Now I'll go on to read a little more of what Brother Nee says here. Listen to what he says. He says, I have read the New Testament more than 200 times. I don't know if any of us can say that. Anyway, I, I can't say it. Maybe some of you out there can say it. He said, I'm not worried about any other passage. I have even read Revelation a few hundred times. I am not worried about this book either. However, I am worried about Ephesians 4. I am concerned how this passage of the scriptures will be fulfilled. Ephesians 4 says that the work of the ministry is to arrive at the oneness of the faith. The church is the body of Christ, and it builds itself up in love, which we just read from these two verses. Then he says this, Brothers and sisters, we believe that there will be a day when God's recovery will reach the fulfillment of Ephesians 4. We believe that we are in that day. I'll read on. God is doing a recovery work everywhere. The ultimate work among all these works may very well be the recovery of the body testimony. God's leading today is to bring us back to the beginning and to be recovered to the condition of the beginning. Of course, we know that if the Lord is going to recover what I just read in Ephesians 4, 15, and 16, we need to be headed up in Christ. We need to grow up into him as the head and then function out from him as the head. So I feel Brother Nee's word is very prophetic. This is where we are in church history. Now another verse I would like to read is Colossians 2.19. This verse says, and I'll just read uh, the positive aspect of it. It says, holding the head, out from whom all the body, being richly supplied and knit together, by means of the joints and sinews, grows with the growth of God. So, all of us, if we're going to be participate, know and participate in God's will to head up all things in Christ, we need to hold Christ as the head. Now, we have to know what does it mean to hold Christ as the head. Now, I have another, a number of definitions here that I would like to speak to you. One says to hold the head is to acknowledge that only Christ is the head and to come absolutely under his authority. Then I'll read something else. As the head, the Lord is the one who decides our pathway. We do not have any ground for our own choice. The body's only duty toward the head is obedience and submission without any opinion, idea, or proposal. Another statement, if Christ is my head, then I will not dare to please myself or others. I must seek to please him alone. Then finally, this is very experiential. To hold the head means that there is direct and intimate communication between us and him. In this close communication, 
between the head and the members. All his riches are ministered into the members, and all the negative things are swallowed up by the supply of life from the head. This is very encouraging and very marvelous. Now, um, brothers and sisters, it may say this later in the outline. When we get to a message, a later message that I will give, you will see that this statement, I make this statement, but I would like to make it again. You know, sometimes if, you know, as as our head, Jesus is our Lord. He's our Lord. He's the one who makes, who directs us in everything. He makes all our decisions. He's our manager. He's our master. He's our head. He's our Lord. You know, it's very interesting. In Romans 14, 7 through 9, uh, these verses aren't on the outline, but it says none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. And it, and then it says some, it says, When we live, we live to the Lord. And when we die, we die to the Lord. Then it says, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. That's a big statement there. We don't belong to ourselves. We are the Lord's. And then it says this, saints, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Again, this is Romans 14, 7 through 9. It says, Christ died and rose again for this. Listen to this. For what? that he might be Lord. And just stop that. It's stopped there. The whole thing says that he might be Lord both of the living and the dead. But actually, you know, I'm stopping here. He died and rose from the dead that he might be Lord. So uh, before he became a man, he was the Lord and his divinity. Now that he has now that this man, Jesus, has passed through resurrection and entered into ascension, we can all say that Jesus is Lord. A man. There is a man who is the Lord of all and who is the Lord of the universe. And brothers and sisters, this is very experiential. We want him to be our indwelling Lord. For him to be our indwelling Lord means that we are holding him as the head. We are in direct communication with him, and we are absolutely under his authority. Now, we may wonder, and I've, I've wondered this for a number of times, how can I be submissive to the Lord or to him as the head? How can I be obedient to him? Uh, we, in our natural man, we have no submissive or obedient element. But... Uh, Listen to this. The Lord, who was submissive and obedient to the Father throughout his life. We see this in Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 11. We see this in Hebrews 5, how he learned obedience through sufferings. So the Lord, who was submissive and obedient to the Father throughout his life, listen to this, has given us his life of submission and obedience. So the Christ as our life, that life is in our spirit. That is a life of submission. That is a life of obedience. So when we enjoy him, when we hold him as the head, 
spontaneously. He lives through us a life of submission to the Father and to Him, and He lives through us a life of obedience to the Father and of obedience to Him as our Lord and our Head. To me, this is a great, great encouragement. Okay, now, um, uh, let, let me uh, bring us to this point. We need to realize uh, how we can participate in this heading up of all things. How, how can we participate in this heading up? And, you know, in Ephesians 1.10, which I'll read here just in a little bit, there's a long note on this verse. And I was rereading it again. I read it so many times. And this sentence jumped out at me. And it's actually in the outline. But I really didn't zero in on it till early this morning. And it says this. The way we can participate in this heading up is by three things. Number one, we have to be willing to be headed up in the church life. Number two, we need to grow in life every day. We need to grow up into him as the head every day. And number three, we need to live under Christ's light. We'll see that the light of Christ brings everything into an or, into order. The light of Christ brings us absolutely under Christ's headship. And, uh, and when we grow in life, we're growing up into the head in all things. Now, um, let me just make a few comments about this. To be willing to be headed up in the church life means, firstly, According to Colossians 1, 17 and 18, firstly, we realize that all things cohere in Christ. That's verse 17. And this verse means that everything in the universe subsists in Christ as the holding center. He is the holding center of the entire universe. Everything coheres in him. Well, this is also true of our personal universe, our personal universe, our spirit, our soul, and body, our life, our living, our service, everything about us coheres in him. We need to take him as our center in everything. In this meeting we're having right now, he is our center. He is our goal. He is our aim. Then verse 18 goes on. At the end of verse 18, it says that he himself might have the first place in all things. So for us to be willing to be headed up in the church life, we need to take him as our center, and we need to give him the first place in all things. Actually, uh, in Revelation 2, it talks about Christ being our first love, And for him to be our first love is for us to give him the first place in all things. This means practically that we check with him about everything. We don't do anything apart from him. We honor him as our head. We honor him as our Lord. He has the first place in all things in our life. 
That is our being willing to be headed up in the church life. Now, related to our growing in life, of course, Hebrews 6, verse 1a, uh, the Lord through Paul says, let us be brought on to maturity. One translation says, let us go on to maturity. Of course, maturity is the final stage of our growth in life. Transformation is, um, is the metabolic change in our natural life, where maturity is when we're filled to the brim with a life that changes us. This is maturity. This is what we want to arrive at. Now, uh, brothers and sisters, I recently, I didn't share this in the elders training, but I would like to point out some things to you. I recently did an outline uh, for the Memorial Day conference that I really treasured. A lot of the points on this outline I had to cut out, otherwise the outline would have been too long, and many of you out there know I do long outlines anyway. But I had to cut out a lot of these things. But there's an article that Brother Nee writes in the Collective Works of Watchman Nee, volume 55, on seizing the opportunity or redeeming the time. Colossians 4, 5 says redeeming the time. Ephesians 5, 16 says redeeming the time. Now, if we're going to grow in life, we have to redeem the time. What does it mean to redeem the time? Actually, you can translate these verses as redeeming the opportunity. Redeeming the opportunity. So, um, I'll just make a few of these statements. You know, of the days that the Lord has ordained for us, perhaps yesterday should have been the greatest day of our life. But, We have lived yesterday in an ordinary way. This is what it means to miss the opportunity. Now listen to this. There is never a day without God's arrangement for us. And and I'll give you an example of this. Perhaps the Lord gave us a thought that we should seek out a certain person who was potentially very useful to the Lord. Of course, we know that this happened was Saul of Tarsus. The Lord came to Ananias, and uh, he spoke to Ananias about paying a visit to Saul of Tarsus. And then Ananias said, Lord, you know that this man, he's throwing us in prison. And thank the Lord, you can see from that that Ananias had a very intimate relationship with the Lord. She could talk to the Lord in an honest way. And uh, he obeyed the Lord. He uh, went to Saul of Tarsus. And this person, who was probably one of the greatest enemies to the Lord Jesus and to his followers, became probably the greatest apostle in the New Testament. So the Lord may want us to go to someone, uh, maybe who's not in the church life, maybe who even is right now, he is an, is an enemy somewhat. But the Lord is prompting us within, go to this person. And we may think this doesn't make any sense. But that person, the Lord wants you to go to that person because he knows 
that that person has the potential of being very useful to him. But instead of going to that person and seeking out that person, on that day, we didn't go because we were afraid the weather was too hot. Like it is now, in Anaheim, it's 91 right now. We might say the weather's too hot. Too hot. Or we, we might be too lazy. Well, we missed an opportunity that never comes back again. So we must not be dull to any direction from the head. We must not let the head have a sense that we are numb to his leading. Now, we know Daniel 11, 32b says, the people who know their God will show strength and take action. What this means is that the people of God will open up new horizons. The more we know God's will, the more we will seize the opportunities. Anyone who hesitates is living in a habitual way. But those who know God's will never live in a habitual way. They always seize the opportunities. Now, I would like you to hear what Brother Neve says about Brother Lee. He says, we have seen how God has blessed Brother Witness's work. His strong point is that he does not let any opportunity slip by, to slip by. It is hard to find him missing an opportunity. Once the opportunity arises, he takes advantage of it. Watchman Nee spoke this in 1950, and that's the way Brother Lee was. We can give a lot of examples about this. One big example is the Lord's move to Russia. He realized that this was an opportunity, and we needed to go to Russia right then, or we would have missed the opportunity. Uh, I talked to Brother Oscar the other day, who, who have, he's here right now, of course, he got caught in Russia, and he confirmed with me. He said, Ed, that period of time was a window of opportunity that is not there anymore. So, thank the Lord that Brother Lee had the, the inner sense and sensibility and realization in the spirit that we need to take uh, advantage of the opportunities the Lord gives us. Now, there's another portion that Brother Nee writes about in his collected works. You can look this up. I don't have the exact reference, but it's on numbering our days, numbering our days, where Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. If we're going to grow in life, we need to number our days. And we need to ask the Lord to teach us to number our days. Now, in saying this, we need to realize that our physical age is entirely different from our spiritual age. When we were born, you know, John 3, 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and from that point, there's our physical age. Then it says, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. From that point, begins our spiritual age, our spiritual age. Well, it's possible for us to be like 
you know, I'm older than this, so I'll say something younger. It's possible, believe it or not, I'm older than this. It's possible for a person to be 60 years old physically, but he's only 10 years old spiritually. This is a great tragedy. This is a great tragedy. And just to give you an example of this, you know, Paul asked Timothy, Timothy was quite young, to ordain elders. And these elders were much older than him physically. So how could Timothy, being so young in the physical realm, ordain elders who are supposed to be, according to our human view, quite elderly? What this means is that Timothy redeemed the time. Every day Timothy had after his conversion to Christ was a day of him growing in life. A day without the growth in life is a waste of, wasted day. A day without our consecration to enjoy the Lord for our growth in life and for the building up of the body of Christ is a wasted day. We could use another example of this. Look at the Corinthians. They were not spiritual men, but they were fleshy. And Paul said they were infants in Christ, infants in Christ. Now, they were older in the physical realm, but Paul says you're infants in Christ. What this means is that they had wasted many days. They had become aged children. May the Lord preserve us that this never happens to us. From this moment on, let's number our days and seize our opportunities. So, uh, you know, like I said, we may be 60 years old this year, but we may have wasted 30 or 40 years in God's view. So we have to ask ourselves, how much spiritual history do we have before the Lord? When the Lord speaks of maturity in life, He's not referring to our physical maturity, but to our spiritual maturity by cooperating with him and giving him the free course in our entire being so that we can hold him as the head and grow with the growth of God. Now, these questions were very convicting to me. They're not on the Memorial Day outline. I had to, I had to cut them out because there's no room, but they were very convicting to me. Listen to this, and this is Watch Mani uh, speaking here. He says, during the past last few years, have we had any new experiences of Christ? Have we received any new light from God or any new personal speaking from the Lord? In these last few years, did we cooperate with the Lord to save people or to minister life to the saints? Do we know God in a deeper way today? Do we know how to lay hold of God's promises. You see, these questions uh, kind of convict us concerning where we are. Now, if our service is according to God's will, one day can equal many days in the Lord's sight. But the days spent outside the will of God are not counted by God. Listen to this. Outside the kingdom of God, no human beings are employed by God. Why do I say this? Because if you look at Matthew 20, 
verses 6 and 7, the Lord is telling different people to go into the vineyard and work with him and for him in the vineyard of his kingdom. Well, in Matthew 20, 6 and 7, he comes to a group of people. He said, what are you doing here? Why are you idle? I-D-L-E. He says, go into the vineyard. In other words, in the Lord's sight, if you're not working, uh, if you're not working together with him for the building up of his body, for the preparation of his bride, and for the usher, ushering in of his kingdom, you are idle, I-D-L-E. That doesn't count as work in the sight of God. Now, this was also amazing to me. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, he was satisfied with his own work. Remember in Daniel 4, he said, look at what I've done. Look at my kingdom. And uh, he was boasting. Of course, we know God came in to judge him. But to be satisfied with our own work, that is the principle of Babylon. Because Nebuchadnezzar, of course, was the leader of Babylon. But we can be encouraged, brothers and sisters, uh, because we have the words of Joel 2.25. The years that the locust has eaten will be restored to you. If you waste your days, ten years may be equal to one day. But if you redeem the time, one day may be equal to ten years. Isn't that glorious? That's why Psalm 84.10 says, A day in your courts is better than a thousand. The days in heaven are not counted by a 24-hour cycle. God has a different way of counting days. So I just want to bring up those points for our growth in life. I think this is vital. Now, we also need to live under Christ's light. Colossians 1.13 says that when we received the Lord as our life and Savior, we were delivered out of the authority of darkness, and we were transferred into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. So darkness has authority. When you're in darkness, you're under Satan's authority. When you're in light, you're under God's authority. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So Isaiah 2.5 is a, is a wonderful verse that I like. It says, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of Jehovah. Now, there are a number of verses on this that we know. I'll just mention a few of them. Um, you know, Matthew 5.16 tells us that we are the light of the world. And it says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in the heavens. The reason why we're the light of the world is because God in Christ, as the light in the universe, has been dispensed into our spirit. And so our function is to shine. That's what we should do. We should be shining people. When we contact him, we shine. And many times, that shining is visible. You can see it on a person's face. You look at that brother or sister's face, they're shining. Why are they shining? Because they're enjoying Christ as the light of God. 
Now, uh, in Psalm 119, 105, it says, your, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So we need to be in the word all the time. In Ephesians 5, 8 and 9, Paul says this. Of course, this is the Lord speaking through Paul. He says, you were once darkness. He didn't say you were once in darkness. He said you were once darkness itself. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I love these verses. In Philippians 2, 15 and 16, uh, Paul says this, the Lord through Paul says this, in the previous verses, he says, do all things without murmurings and reasonings that you may be blameless and guileless uh, in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation. Then he says this, among whom you shine. Again, you shine. This is our function to shine. You shine as luminaries in the world. What that means is we reflect the light of Christ as the sun, the S-U-N. So in this say, in this sense, we can say Christ is the sun, the church is the moon, and the believers are the planets, the luminaries. And the way we shine is we hold forth the word of life. That means we apply, present, and offer the word of life to others by living out Christ. This is the way to live under Christ's light. Okay, I hope this is a help to us. I really enjoyed this very, very much. Uh, and when I was sharing it with the, with the responsible brothers, I didn't share any of this. And so this was just very fresh to me. Okay, now we'll come to the outline. Uh, Roman number one, which again are critical verses that we covered in the first message. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself unto the economy of the fullness of the times to head up all things in Christ, the things in the heavens and the things on the earth in him. So the Lord wants to head up all things in Christ. And he wants us as the church to be headed up first. So every day we should have a prayer in us, Lord, head me up today. Head up my spirit. Head up my soul. Head up my heart. Head up my body. Head up my circumstances. I want my whole being, my whole environment, my living, and my service to be absolutely under your headship and your lordship. He will honor a prayer like this. This is a prayer according to his will and according to his word. If, if you pray according to God's word and pray his word back to him, he is bound by, the, by his faithfulness to fulfill what you prayed. Okay, now A says, the economy or dispensation that God, according to his desire, planned and purposed in himself is to head up all things in Christ at the fullness of the times. B says, this is accomplished through the, through the dispensing 
of the abundant life supply of the triune God as the life factor into all the members of the church so that they may rise up from the death situation and be attached to the body. Now, in the last message, uh, Brother Albert covered this, that the fallen universe can be termed as the heap of collapse, as the heap of collapse. Well, how do you come out of that heap of collapse? You need the triune God to dispense himself into you day by day as the abundant life supply. And that's, he dispenses himself into you as the life factor to cause you to rise up from that death situation and out of that heap of collapse so that you could be headed up in Christ and attached to the body. You know, I can't do this here uh, for time's sake, but I remember Brother Lee doing this demonstration from the platform. One time he took off his suit jacket and he put it on the on the podium, and he and he it was it was it was deformed, and he said, "Look at this, it's a heap of collapse. How do I change this heap of collapse into something that's in order? That's the way it should be." So he picked up his jacket and he put it on, and then he said, "Now this suit jacket is headed up." Because this person, me, this person, was dispensed into this jacket. So it's by Christ dispensing himself as our person in life into our being that we come out of the heap of collapse and we get headed up in him. It's very, very marvelous. Saints, it is not a small thing to pray every day, Lord, dispense yourself into me today and flow out of me to dispense yourself into others. I'll make this statement. It's a simple statement, but it's a very important statement. The Lord is only doing one thing. He is dispensing himself into us day by day. So that's why we need to pray that. Now, C says, the times refers to the ages, and the fullness of the times will be when the new heaven and new earth appear after all the dispensations of God in all the ages have been completed. Now, one tells us what the ministry means by the word dispensation. You know, different expositors have applied different meanings to the word dispensation, some correctly, but this definition is the best definition. It's, it's uh, the most precise, laser-like definition. Listen to one. A dispensation is the act or instance of dispensing. And it refers to God's dispensing of himself into his chosen people. We need the element of God with his life and nature to be wrought into our being. Now, two says, Although there are four ages, the age of sin, which is Adam, the age of the law, which is Moses, the age of grace, which is Christ, and the age of the kingdom, which is the millennium. Now, what we want to be 
is we want to be God's dispensational instrument, his overcomers, his overcoming bride, to turn the age from the age of grace to the age of the kingdom of a thousand years. That's why the Lord brought us into his recovery. The Lord's recovery is for the producing of the bride. The Lord's recovery is for the turning of the age, from the age of the church age to the age of the kingdom age of a thousand years. Now, three says this, God dispensed himself into Abel, Enosh, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with Joseph. Now, you may wonder, how can we say this? Well, just consider, how could Abel offer the proper sacrifices to God to please God if God hadn't dispensed himself into Abel in some way? Uh, How did Enosh come up with calling on the name of Jehovah? He didn't just manufacture that. God dispensed something into him, even something of his thought. You need to call upon my name. You are weak. You are frail. You are mortal. Call upon my name, and you will be strong, and you'll be full of strength. You won't be frail anymore. You'll be full of strength. I'll be your strength. I'll be your energy. Enoch walked with God for 300 years. To walk with God is to take God as our center and everything and to do everything according to God's leading and God's revelation. How did Enoch know that? It was because God dispensed himself into Enoch to a certain extent. It's the same with uh, Noah. Noah, okay, Enoch was a co-walker. Noah was a co-worker. You cannot be a co-worker with God if you're not a co-walker with God. How did Noah know to work with God and build an ark? All the people around him thought he had lost his mind. It hadn't rained for years and years and years. Here he is building this ark. Well, obviously, God dispensed something of himself into Noah, something of his feeling, something of his vision, something of his desire, and something of his burden. In the same way, God dispensed himself into Abraham. We know that a number of times, God appeared to Abraham. And by God appearing to Abraham, he infused himself into Abraham as faith for Abraham to believe into God. And many times when God appeared to Abraham, immediately Abraham built an altar to the Lord. He immediately consecrated himself to the Lord. That came out of God dispensing. Then you have Isaac, you have Jacob, you have Joseph. All of them, you can consider all of them. God dispensed himself into them in some way, in some form. Now go on. He had an even greater dispensation with Moses. And of course, with the Lord Jesus. Had a great dispensation, right? But four says, this dispensing continues in the New Testament epistles. God's dispensation is even greater than it was at the time of the Apostle Paul. I would like to ask you, do you believe this? You have to believe this. You have to, by faith, 
You have to exercise your spirit of faith, which is 2 Corinthians 4.13, and say amen to this. Because Ephesians 1 says that uh, the mystery of God's will, which God purposed in himself, resulting in the economy of the fullness of the times. Where is God headed with his dispensing? He's headed to the fullness of the time. The fullness of the times isn't here yet. And at the fullness of the times, all things in the heavens and on the earth will be headed up in Christ. So his dispensing has been getting broader and wider and wider and wider. So God's dispensation was even greater uh, than it was at the time of the Apostle Paul. Today, listen, today there is a deeper, higher, and wider dispensation of the grace of God. Can you imagine that? Today, right now, there's a deeper, higher, wider dispensation of the grace of God. 5 says, this dispensation will continue through the millennium until the fullness of the times. The ultimate, the consummate dispensation will be the dispensing of the triune God into the whole city of the New Jerusalem. So in the New Jerusalem, you have the Father as the light of life shining into the whole city, out through the city. You have the Son as the tree of life whom we will eat and partake of for eternity. And we have the Spirit as the river of water of life for us to drink for eternity. So the entire triune God, we will enjoy his divine dispensing for eternity. And this, by the time we come to Revelation 22, this is the fullness of the times. This is the ultimate and consummate dispensation. Now, I will just give you a a short testimony. I remember when Brother Lee was sharing on this in the Ephesians training, and, um, you know, of course, we passed through a lot of things in our church life. We passed through some turmoils. At the time, he gave this message on heading up all things in Christ. There was a turmoil taking place. And I wasn't sitting on the front row, but uh, I had moved to Anaheim by that time. But I observed on the front row, there was one person sitting on the front row who was an opposer. He was an opposer. And Brother Lee was sharing. And I thought to myself, how could I share from the platform when there's someone, an opposer, surreptitiously, uh, surreptitiously undermining me. Well, it didn't affect Brother Lee at all. You know what Brother Lee did? He went up on the board and he drew circles. He said, God dispensing, God's dispensation, his act of dispensing is getting broader and broader. And he just kept drawing circles, wider and wider, deeper and deeper, until we come to the dispensation of the fullness of the times, which is the new Jerusalem. And then I remember he backed up. He didn't touch the the blue board, but he backed up. He was almost against the blue board. He said, saints, I am there. I am in the new Jerusalem. And uh, 
we all had the distinct impression that he was in the reality of the New Jerusalem. That, that was quite a testimony to me. Now, 6 says, we enjoy a miniature of this consummate dispensation in the church life today as we enjoy the Spirit as the living water and eat Christ as the tree of life in the church life. We await the consummate dispensation in which we will be fully saturated with the triune God. Of course, today we're eating Christ as our spiritual food. We're drinking Christ as our spiritual drink. We're eating him as the tree of life. Um, In Revelation, it says that if we overcome, he will give us to eat of the tree of life. In Revelation 22, 14, I like this verse, and this is something for the New Jerusalem, but we need to appropriate it for today. We need to live in the reality of the New Jerusalem today. It says, blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed means happy. That means when you wash your robes in the blood of the Lamb, that will make you truly happy. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Why? That they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Saints, because we've washed our robes in the precious blood of Christ, we have the right to the tree of life. Exercise your right now. You have a right to the tree of life. You have a right to eat the tree of life because you've washed your robes in the blood of the Lamb and you may enter by the gates, the gates of Christ, into the city and the city is the ultimate union, mingling, and incorporation of the triune God with the tripartite man. That's what we enter into. Now, seven says, where life is, there is light also. Because the new Jerusalem is saturated with light, it has no need of the light of the sun. The glory of the triune God will be our shining and controlling light. Isn't that wonderful? The glory of the triune God, and that glory is actually God himself. He's the God of glory. The Father is the Father of glory. The Lord is the Lord of glory. The Spirit is the Spirit of glory. You can find references for each one of them. I don't have the time. But the triune God is the God of glory. He's in our spirit. And so this glory, who is God himself, will be our shining and controlling light. Now, saints, uh, there again, these verses are not on your outline, but they are deeply touching In Luke 11, 34 through 36, the Lord says this. He says, when your eye is single, your eye there refers to your heart. In the the New Testament, whenever it refers to your eye, it's referring to your heart. When your eye is single, when your heart is single, your whole body, that means your whole being, is full of light. Then it says this, it does not have any dark heart. I like that. We need to pray, Lord, grant me a pure heart with you as my only aim. I want my heart to be single for you. I want you to fill my heart with yourself as light so that in my heart, there's not any dark part. Then it goes on to say, uh, 
the whole, that means your whole heart, will be full of light as when the lamp with its rays illuminates you. That's Luke 11, 34 through 36. Okay, now we come to number 8. Number 8 says, in the new Jerusalem, there will be, I underline these, no night, no death, and no darkness. Sometimes we need to say this out loud. Maybe when we get up in the morning, we said we can say today is a day of no night, no death, and no darkness. That's wonderful. Just proclaim that. That's the fact. The fact is, is that Christ is the light of the world. Christ is our light. Christ is our, our life. So with us, as a foretaste of the new Jerusalem, there should be no night, no death, and no darkness. Instead, there will be life and light causing everything to rise up and be in good order and thus be fully headed up in Christ. Now, 9 goes on to say, when we are fully headed up in Christ, in the new Jerusalem, that will be God's eternal administration and economy. D says, the heading up of all things in Ephesians 1.10 is the issue of all the things covered in verses 3 through 9. And this is essentially what is covered in 3 through 9. God has chosen us, predestinated us, redeemed us, forgiven us, and graced us for the purpose of heading up all things in Christ. Now we'll come to E. E says, verses 22 and 23 reveal further that this heading up is to the church. He said over all things, this word to is very important, to the church. In Ephesians 1, 19, it says that we need a revelation to know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us. The word is toward us who believe. So you have to the church and toward us who believe. So this heading up is to the church so that the body of Christ may share in all that is of Christ as the head, having been rescued from the heap of the universal collapse in death and darkness, which was caused by the rebellion of the angels and the rebellion of man. To be rescued from the collapse is to be headed up. So saints, every day, we need to be in the divine transmission of the triune God, of his fourfold power. He said over all things to the church. Now, what kind of power is spoken of here in verses 19 through 23 of Ephesians 1? First, you have resurrecting power. This is the power that raised Christ from the dead. Then you have ascending power. This is the power that seated him at God's right hand in the heavenlies. Then you have subjecting power. This is the power that subjected all things under his feet. Then you have heading up power. This is the power that heads up all things in Christ. So day by day, we need to open our, our being to the Lord without reservation and say, Lord, dispense yourself into me all day long as resurrecting power, ascending power, 
subjecting power and heading up power. And that's wonderful. Uh, the, actually, this power has already been installed in our spirit. We just want this fourfold power to be transmitted into our mind, emotion, and will, and eventually into our body. Now, F says, when everything is headed up in Christ, there will be absolute peace and harmony, a full rescue out of the, out of the collapse. This will begin from the restoration of all things, which is the millennial kingdom. Now we'll come to G. G says, the picture in Ezekiel 37 of the dead, dry, and scattered bones shows that the unique way to have the body, the church, and the house of God in the genuine oneness is the way of life. Now, I can't read all these verses, verses 1 through 14. I encourage you to read them later. Maybe I'll read a few of them. One says, well, uh, you know, the Lord brought Ezekiel to this valley. And in this valley, this valley was full of dry bones, dry bones. And uh, uh, Ezekiel says there were very many bones on the surface of the valley. And it says, and they were also very dry, not just dry, very dry. I don't know if in your Christian life, in your church life, uh, we have to admit, at least there was one time where we felt very dry. Very, well, when we feel dry or very dry, that should cause us to wake up. I, sh- I don't want to remain here. Okay, so what does the Lord do in this passage of scriptures? He asks Ezekiel, he says, Son of man, can these bones live? Those bones represent the house of Israel. Because the church is the real Israel of God, in Galatians 6, those bones also represent us. And he says, can these bones live? And I like what what Ezekiel said. He didn't say he knew. He said, oh, Lord Jehovah, you know. You know. And you know what Jehovah said to Ezekiel? He said, Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones. And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of Jehovah. Saints, you know, usually every Lord's Day, we have a meeting, a prophesying meeting. And to prophesy, um, okay, if if we're speaking, to prophesy is to speak for the Lord, to speak forth the Lord, and to speak the Lord into one another. Actually, uh, the way that we prophesy is this way. Firstly, we should inhale the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is God-breathed. John 20.22 20, says that when the Lord appeared to the disciples in resurrection, it says he breathed into them and said, receive the holy pneuma, which can be translated the holy breath, or the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is the breath, the divine breath. The Scriptures are God-breathed. So every day we need to inhale the Scriptures. We need to convert the Scriptures into spirit and life. 
by pray reading the scriptures. Then we inhale the scriptures. And then when we prophesy, we exhale what we've inhaled. And we exhale that breath of the triune God into the ones whom we are caring for. And then they get enlivened. They get enlivened. So Ezekiel prophesied. And he said, oh, dry bones, hear the word of Jehovah. And uh, it says, as he prophesied, he said there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. There were sinews on them. Flesh came back. Skin covered them over. But he said there was no breath in them. Then the Lord said to him, you need to prophesy some more, Ezekiel. Prophesy to the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus says the Lord Jehovah, Come from the four winds. I like this. O breath. O breath. That's who the Lord is. He's the breath. He said, O breath. He was calling on the Lord there. Come from the four winds. O breath. And breathe on these slain, that they may live. He says, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is the way the church is headed up in Christ to be an exceedingly great army to fight the spiritual warfare for Christ so that Christ can reign in and through us over Satan, sin, and death, and so that all things can be headed up in him. Now we come to number three. It says God's way to head up head us up, is to work himself as the factor of life into us so that we may rise up and be attached to one another in the body. Now we come to Roman numeral 2. Roman numeral 2 says, in order to be headed up in Christ, we need to grow up into Christ, the head, in all things. It doesn't say in great things. Of course, great things are included here. But it says in all things, small things, detailed things, great things. So it goes on to say, in all things means in everything, big or small, in our daily life and in our work. So Ephesians 4.15 tells us that we need to grow up into him in all things. Zechariah 4.10 says, who has despised? the day of small things. This is the day of small things. And we need to grow up into Christ in all things, even in small things. You know, Brother Lee has used this a number of times as an example. He said, you brothers need to grow up into the Lord in the way that you cut your hair, in the way that you comb your hair. You're an ambassador of Christ. Uh, So, you know, when you look at an ambassador of the United States, he looks very dignified, very presentable, very proper. And and as ambassadors of Christ, how much more should we present ourselves with divine dignity? So he would ask us, one time he asked me, he said, Brother Ed, how long do you take to comb your hair? And I, I really panicked inside. I didn't panic out, but my heart was beating 
so fast. I, I just felt like I need some heart medicine right now. And I was trying to think, because you don't think of how long it takes for you to comb your hair. And so finally I, I said, it seemed like it was a long time, but it wasn't that long. And I said, well, Brother Lee, I think about a minute and a half, a minute and a half. And Brother Lee said, very good, Brother Ed. And I was so relieved. Because the reason why he asked me that question is because, you know, he talked about the sisters. They can comb their hair for a long time, right? But, you know, uh, brothers, like if you have a little boy, you always have to tell him, comb your hair. But when he gets to junior high, like ninth grade, high school, he's combing his hair for a long time. He, I, I don't know, you know, you're listening to this, you might not have this, but here in Southern California, we may still have this product. It's called L.A. Gel, L.A. Gel, G-E-L. But, uh, you know, they like to put gel in their hair. If there's a wind tunnel, not one hair moves. You know, so they spend a lot of time. You have to tell them then, don't spend so much time on your hair, but you have to spend enough time so that you look, you have the appearance of an ambassador of Christ. So we need to grow up into him in all things, in the way that we comb our hair. And brothers and sisters, I will tell you, one time I was in a co-worker's meeting, and Brother Lee, he looked, I love this brother very much. I will never say who this brother was. But he said to this brother, he said, brother, brother so-and-so, is in front of so many co-workers. He said, why don't you comb your hair? He said, Sister Lee and I wonder about this. Why don't you comb your hair? You know, because he's a very good brother. Well, since that time, I, I, I've observed that brother, and I serve with him, you know, a lot. I don't want to say too much or I'll give up who he is. But from that time, he always combed his hair. He always combed his hair. And I believe he combed his hair according to God and according to Christ and under Christ's headship. But my point is, is it's in all things. The way we dress should be headed up in Christ. Anyway, there's a lot of examples there. If I'm working on a construction site, I don't dress like this. But if I'm working on a construction site, I should still dress in a proper way. In a proper way. Uh, when I work construction with the brothers, I noticed how they dressed. They dressed like you should dress on construction, but their dress was very dignified and very proper. Not sloppy, not slovenly, but very, very proper and dignified and appropriate. And that really affected me. Now, we'll come to A. It says the organic building up of the body is the growth of the body, which is the growth of God, the increase of God as life in all the members. B says, the growing members are the building members. So if you want to be a building member, you need to be a growing member. Every day, you need to ask the Lord, Lord, give me this day's growth in life. Now it goes on to say, to grow in life, is to have more of God in us. Our problem is that we are short of God. This is our basic problem. We may think, I've got this problem. I've got that problem. I've got another problem. But actually, if you narrow it down, just think about this. 
Our basic problem in all things is that we are short of God. If we had more of God in us, there would be no problem. So our basic problem is that we're short of God. If you look at the book of Job, this was Job's problem. He was a a good man. He was perfect outwardly. He was upright. But he was short of God. He was a good man, but he was not a God man. So God wanted him to get out of the sphere of ethical attainment and get into the sphere of gaining God and being a God man. So Job went through a lot of sufferings. And, uh, you know, in Job 10, 13, this is a key verse in the book of Job. Job says this to God. He says, I know that you have hidden these things in your heart. I know that this is with you. In other words, Job knew that something was in God's heart that was hidden in God's heart concerning him, but he didn't know what it was. Well, you have to combine Job 10.13 with Ephesians 3.9 to see what's hidden in God's heart for us. Ephesians 3.9 says, The economy of the mystery which throughout the ages has been hidden in God. So what is hidden in God concerning us in all things is God's economy. And what is his economy? His economy, you know, briefly speaking, is his plan to dispense himself into us so that we grow with the growth of God and so that we become the corporate expression of God in the universe for his glory. Now, at the end of the book of Job, he saw God. He saw God. He said, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear. He didn't say, I heard you. I heard you. There's a big difference. I heard you. He said, I've heard about you. I've heard of you. If you say, I've heard you, that's a big difference than saying, I've heard of you. I've heard about you. He said, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye has seen you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. At that point, In the New Testament sense, Job became a God-man, a God-man. Because in the New Testament sense, seeing God equals gaining God, equals gaining God. This is 2 Corinthians 3.18. When you behold the glory of God, which is God himself, you get infused with God and you reflect God as glory into others. So to gain God is to receive God in his element, in his life, and in his nature, that we may be constituted with God. Seeing God transforms us because in seeing God, we receive his element into us and our old element is discharged. This is transformation. And saints, the more we see God, the more we know God, and the more we love God, the more we abhor ourselves and the more we deny ourselves because we see God, love God, and know God. Now, C says, in order to grow up into the head, we must hold to truth in the element and sphere of the divine love. Truth in Ephesians 4.15 means things that are true. 
If you look at the book of Ephesians, the little phrase, in love, is mentioned again and again. In love, in love. Uh, We've been chosen to be holy, predestinating us unto sonship before the foundation of the world. In love, in an atmosphere and condition of love. So those words, in love, are, are, are very big in the, in the book of Ephesians. Now, Ephesians 4.15 tells us, hold to truth in love. Truth means things that are true. What are the things that are true? Well, let's look under C. One is, is we need to hold to God's eternal economy. God's eternal economy is true. It is a thing that is true. God right now is dispensing himself into us. That's true. That is wonderful. Now, uh, under, under one it says, A, this is the economy of the mystery hidden in God. B says, this economy is to have the church as the organic body of Christ to consummate in the new Jerusalem for the manifestation of Christ as God's multifarious wisdom. Again, if you get into these verses, you'll see that we can say a lot more about this. We don't have the time. But if you get into these verses, you'll see more. You'll see more. Now, two says, we need to hold to the all-inclusive Christ. The all-inclusive Christ is true. A says, his measure is immeasurable. B says, his riches are unsearchable. C says, his love is knowledge surpassing. Isn't that wonderful? So we need to hold to this all-inclusive Christ. You know, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, I like these verses. It says, God, who, who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. I like, I'll just stop there. He was rich in mercy to us because of his great love with which he loved us. And in Jeremiah 31, 3, the Lord says this. He says, I have loved you with an eternal love. In other words, his love for you, and I mean you, who's ever watching this, you, his love for you is an eternal love. It goes from now to forever and ever and ever and ever. He loves you with an eternal love. He says, therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Finally, the third item we need to hold to is we need to hold to the church as the body of Christ. A says the body of Christ is the corporate Christ. B says the body of Christ is the fullness, the expression of Christ and of God. Now we come to D. D says we grow up into the head through acknowledging the authority of of the headship of Christ. And we've spoken about this. We have to acknowledge the authority of the headship of Christ. A good example of this, and I've got this verse down here, is in Joshua 9.14. And I won't go through this whole story, but this story relates to the Gibeonites and their relationship to the Israelites. Now, if you study the Bible carefully, the Gibeonites were Hivites. And the Hivites were a demonic tribe that the Lord commanded 
the children of Israel to destroy. Well, the, the Gibeonites, if you read Joshua 9, they deceive the children of Israel. They deceive them. And so because they deceive them, the children of Israel somewhat made a covenant with them. And so because they made this covenant with them, they couldn't carry out God's full will with them. And now, why were they deceived? Listen to this. It says the men took some of their provisions, these Gibeonites. Listen to this. But they did not ask for the counsel of Jehovah. Now, you see, when we acknowledge the authority of the headship of Christ, we always ask for his counsel. We want his counsel in everything. When we buy a car, this is practical. Ask for his counsel. Lord, uh, we should look to the Lord. What kind of car do you want me to buy, Lord? Um, uh, what? And even this question concerning our service to the Lord. Okay, Paul asked two questions when he got converted to Christ. The first question was, who are you, Lord? And that question, there's a lot behind the answer to that question. But one thing that means is that that question was being answered through his whole life. His whole life was a quest to know Christ. So the first question was, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. So he realized Jesus is Lord, right? And the second question was, what shall I do, Lord? What shall I do, Lord? You know, um, Brother Lee made this statement one time. He said, blessed are those who ask this question. What shall I do, Lord? Many times in our service to the Lord, we are on automatic pilot. We don't check with the Lord. We don't say, what shall I do, Lord? We should always have this question in us toward the Lord so that we acknowledge his authority in what we do and in what we're carrying out. In 1 Peter 5, 3, the Lord, through Peter, charges the elders not to lord it over the saints. But this is a terrible thing. This means that the leading ones become the saints' lord. They take the Lord's place with the saints. So we have to be very careful when we're shepherding people not to become their lord. We have to be very careful about telling people where to move, where to go. And Brother Lee, talk to us about this. Um, One time he said, who are you to tell someone where to move? The first thing someone needs to do is go to the Lord and say, Lord, do you want me to move or do you want me to stay? And then, of course, we need the fellowship of the body. You know, we, we, we need that. But we need to go to the head first because he is our Lord. No one else is our Lord. All right, now, under D, one says, Christ is the head of everyone. So 1 Corinthians eleven three says, Christ is the head of every man. The man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. I would like to say this. You know, I, I love all the brothers. I love all the sisters. 
I love every person in the Lord. But I want to make this statement. The man is the head of the woman. Now, I know that husbands need to love their wives. But wives also need to submit to their husbands. But the whole age that we're living in, I'm very concerned for our young sisters in the full-time training. They have come out of college with philosophies of feminism, which is totally against the Lord's word. Uh, if you tell them the man is the head of the woman, that they'll rebel against that. But as women in Christ, we need to say amen to this. The man is the head of the woman. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 14.35 says. It says, this is a chapter on prophesying. It says that if, if the woman isn't clear about something, here's what she should do. They should, this is in quotes, ask their own husbands at home. Ask their own husbands at home. Lots of times sisters, they might go to a co-worker, ask this question, another co-worker, ask this question, an elder, why don't you go to your husband and ask the question? The Bible says, ask your own husband at home. He's your husband. He's your head. Do you see my point? I think we're missing a lot of this in the church. We ask this elder, this elder, this co-worker, ask your own husband at home. I'll just make that statement. Two says Christ is the head of the church. Three says Christ is the head of all things. E says the believers participate in Christ's heading up. And I shared these points at the beginning. Number one, by being willing to be headed up in the church life. Number two, by growing in life. And number three, by living under Christ's light. Now F says we grow up into the head by allowing Christ to increase and grow in all the inward parts of our being. S says, we grow up into the head by allowing Christ to increase and grow in all the inward parts of our being. One says, one is very important, in order to grow in life, we must pay attention to our spirit. We must know our spirit. We must use our spirit. We must exercise our mingled spirit. Where Romans, Romans 8, 6 says, the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Well, what does it mean to set the mind on the spirit? To set the mind on the spirit is to pay attention to your spirit. Your spirit should be the capital city of your entire being. You know, the, like the capital, Washington, D.C. It should be the capital city of your entire tripartite being. Uh, we have to pay attention to our spirit. We have to know our spirit. We have to use our spirit. And we have to exercise our spirit. Now, under this, we have A through G. And I, I remember one time doing this. And I would encourage, if you've never done this, especially if you're a younger person, 
But even I, as an older person, I remember taking a walk with the Lord and praying over each of these verses on the human spirit and the mingled spirit in each chapter of the book of Ephesians, which shows us that by paying attention to our spirit, by using our spirit, by exercising our spirit, we can have the reality of the body of Christ. So one says, Ephesians 1.17, shows that we need to pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to fully know Christ and God's economy. It would be good to pray that back to the Lord. Ephesians 2.22 says that all the believers are being built together into a dwelling place of God in spirit. Ephesians 3.5 says that the mystery of Christ has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in spirit. Ephesians 3.16 shows that we need to pray to be strengthened into the inner man, which is our regenerated spirit with God's life as its life. Ephesians 4.23 tells us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. That means we allow our mingled spirit to spread into our mind, to occupy our mind, to saturate our mind, to govern our mind, and to control our mind so that our mingled spirit becomes the spirit of our mind. Ephesians 5.18 tells us to be filled in spirit, and Ephesians 6.18 tells us to pray at every time in spirit. Take a walk with the Lord and pray over these verses so that you know them. You know Ephesians 1.17, Ephesians 2.22, Ephesians 3.5, Ephesians 3.16, Ephesians 4.23, Ephesians 5.18, and Ephesians 6.18. I'd like to be able to wake you up at 3 a.m. You can tell me all of these verses. Then they're in your being. Now, 2 says, in order to grow in life, we must feed on the milk and food of the Holy Word as the embodiment of Christ, the living Word of God. You know, of course, these verses talk about this. I, I would just add a verse, Psalm 119, verse 40. The psalmist says this. He says, your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. We need to love God, and we need to love God's Word. We need to love God's Word. This may seem trite, but... Whenever I was around Brother Lee, you had the powerful sense. This is a person who not only loves the Lord to the uttermost, he loves God's word to the uttermost. He told us that sometimes he would try to rape. You know, uh, one time Andrew took him up in the mountains to rest. And Brother Lee's way of resting, you know, Andrew ended up reading him the resumption of Washington's ministry. And Brother Lee said, you know, I try to rest, but my hand always goes to the Bible because he loves the Bible so much. Okay, Roman numeral 3 says, as we grow up into the head in life, our function will come out from the head for the building up of the body. A says, when we allow Christ to be the head in everything, and when we grow up into him in all things, we will be supplied with the riches of his life, receiving something from him 
to transfuse into other members of the body. So firstly, we need to be transfused with Christ, and then we need to minister Christ by transfusing Christ into people. Now one under this says, to build up the body of Christ is to minister Christ as the life-giving spirit into the saints for their growth into Christ. Two says, we must help the saints learn to enjoy the Lord. Are we helping our new ones learn to enjoy the Lord? I would say this to myself as one of the trainers even, even even Brother Lee shared with us, don't consider yourself as a quote-unquote trainer. You're a disciple. You're a learner. You, you never become an expert. All of us are disciples. That means we're learners. We're the Lord's learners. So we need to help the saints learn to enjoy the Lord. We have to learn to enjoy the Lord. The first thing we should do, one of the first things we should do when we wake up is to say, Lord, I consecrate my whole being to you today just to simply enjoy you. And when we enjoy the Lord, that enjoyment will become contagious. Many of us who are watching this uh, this broadcast or video, however you want, want to term it, many of us know this brother Dick Taylor. He lives in Los Angeles now, and uh, he is just a person who enjoys the Lord. And his enjoyment is so contagious. When I would, I've said this a number of times. When you serve with Brother Dick, which I've served with him many times, we've gone places together, we've gone to Russia twice together. When you're with Dick, you will enjoy the Lord. Whether you want to enjoy the Lord, whether you don't want to enjoy the Lord, you will enjoy the Lord. It's not that he forces you to enjoy the Lord. It's just that you, you have to enjoy the Lord because he's always enjoying the Lord. That's how we need to be. So Paul says that he was going to continue with the saints in Philippi for their progress and joy of the faith. Progress indicates the growth in life. Uh, joy in the faith indicates the enjoyment of Christ. That means Paul was a channel of supply to the saints for the saints' growth in life and for their enjoyment of Christ. Saints, what this means ultimately is it should matter to the church and to the body whether we live on this earth or whether we go to be with the Lord. Uh, It should matter to the saints. If we're a channel of supply, we will be someone who supplies the saints with life for their growth in life. If we are a channel of supply, we will supply the saints with the Lord as their joy so that they will have the joy of the faith. They will have the enjoyment of Christ. This is the kind of person we should be. Now, B says, under Christ's headship, all the body causes the growth of the body of Christ. In Ephesians 4.15, it has this noun, all the body. To get the verb, you have to go uh, to the end of verse 16 which it says, where it says, causes the growth of the body. So all the body 
causes the growth of the body. How does the body grow? It grows through the joints of the rich supply. It grows through the operation in the measure of each one part. So every member, by, by every member enjoying the Lord, growing up into Christ, functioning out from Christ as the head, taking Christ as the head in everything, uh, they're functioning, they're growing, they're operating, causes all of us to grow in life. And all of that growth put together is the growth of the body, and the growth of the body is the building up of the body. Now, one under this says, this growth is through every joint of the rich supply, all the particular gifts in the body of Christ. Two says, this growth is through the operation in the measure of each one part, every member in the body of Christ. C says, the building up of the body of Christ under his headship is in love and by love. Now, there is a chapter in the book called The Vital Groups. And uh, I just happened to be with Brother Lee when he was working on that particular chapter. He said, Ed, I want to title this message, Love Prevails. I just, that title was spectacular to me. And if you read that chapter, uh, I've read that chapter so many times, I almost have the whole chapter underlined. It's ridiculous. I, it just, you know, and highlighted. Uh, but love needs to prevail in us. Love needs to prevail in the church life. This is why we don't bear fruit. It's because love is not prevailing in us and among us. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 31b, Paul says, I will show to you a most excellent way. What is that most excellent way? It's in chapter 13. It's love. It's God as love, experienced and enjoyed by us in a particular and experiential way. Now, one says, love is the most excellent way to be anything and to do anything for the building up of the body of Christ. Nothing but love can keep us in a proper relationship with the Lord. You know, if we speak, and we don't speak filled with God as love, 1 Corinthians 13 says we're like sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now, would you want to get up in a church meeting and just clang two cymbals together? You know what that is? Those are sounds without life. We want to make sounds full of life. That's prophesying. So 1 Corinthians 13, of course, is an excellent chapter. I encourage you to read that chapter in the vital groups, Love Prevails. Now 2 says, and many of us don't realize what the goal of the book of Ephesians is. This tells us the goal of the book of Ephesians is to bring us into love as God's inner substance so that we may enjoy God as love and enjoy his presence in the sweetness of the divine love, and thereby love others as Christ did. Three goes on to say, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. This refers to the building up of the corporate body of Christ under the headship of Christ. 
Finally, we come to D. D says to grow in life is to grow up into the head Christ. But to operate in the body of Christ is to operate out from him. We grow into the head. I underline that, into the head. And then we have something that is out from the head. I underlined out from the head. One is for our life and our living, for growing in life. The other is for our functioning. We grow in life into the head. We function out from the head for the building up of the body. This is to participate in God's great and lofty will to head up all things in Christ. So that is message two. Uh, I just pray that this message becomes our living reality personally and corporately so that the Lord has a way to head up all things in Christ through his body so that he can prepare us to be his bride to bring him back. Praise the Lord.